Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I vomited somewhere in this room. I don't remember where, though. Wait, you might want to check that drawer. Enjoy wrestling. I got the power. Remember when uh, the power by Snap was used as the theme trailer music? It was in the movie too, with for Jeff Speakman's The Perfect Weapon. Uh, I don't remember that, but I do kind of love that era in the nineties of like, this is the next big action star. And they would get like a big platform movie. And most of the time they wouldn't really become the next big a- action star. Uh, but they well, would get their trailer. Everyone was trying to find basically because some big stars came out of relative obscurity. And I'm not talking about Sch- Schwarzenegger or Stallone, no, but like Van, Van, Van Damme Van and Seagal. Everyone's yeah, trying yeah, to find the next one. Right. And uh, they did it with Jeff Speakman. It didn't work out. I mean, he went on to do like a lot of direct-to-video movies. But um, and then Brandon Lee too, before he tragically died because of a mishap on the Crow set, he had that platform. First, he shared the screen with Dolph Lundgren and Showdown in Little Tokyo. But then he had Rapid Fire. Yeah. So he he was uh, he was being primed and ready to to fill that role too. And then another person who got like their big here's your movie was uh, Mark Dacascos who had only the strong, uh, which was like being really sold. And he's another person who that movie didn't take off. He didn't have his big solo action movie career, but he's had a good career and he got to play the villain in John Wick three last year. Right. You know, know? know who didn't quite take off, but also had sort of a stealth eighties career was Michael Dudikoff. Yes. uh, American Ninja, who was never like a huge star, but like those movies did all right. Yeah, they, because also, of course, that was just the era of either straight to video or we're basically making you for video uh, movies like like Saw. Like they talked about how Saw was still in that era when they made it. They thought it would basically go straight to DVD. Uh, so, yeah, movies that were just primed for that uh, video store market. Uh, have I talked about yet the uh, Netflix versus the world uh, documentary? No, but I should probably introduce the podcast, too. Sure. Uh, just and, and then we can proceed to not talk about wrestling if you would like, which is totally fine. <laughs> uh, hey, fun fans! It's we enjoy wrestling. Also, we enjoy tangents and we enjoy horror franchises and or action franchises. Um, we are the Matitude Eric. I am Matt Fowler. Say hello, Eric Goldman. Um, hey, who, I started to burp because I just ate Taco Bell. Well, uh, I was going to say this. that's how you say hello in the San Fernando Valley is you do a Taco <laughs> Bell burp, which is actually <laughs> that is that is that's how we speak. Yeah, it's, it's either a Taco Bell burp or a Del Taco fart is uh, a form of greeting in Valley Village. I think that, um, man, 
yeah, you can talk about the Netflix versus the world thing. We're also, everyone, as, as you all know, we're going to talk about the final Saw movie. That's not the final Saw movie. It's the final Saw movie to have hit theaters because Spiral is delayed. But the final Saw movie in our, uh, basically, our marathon, which is Jigsaw. So we'll talk about that during this podcast as well as catch up on the week in WWE. And, um, yeah, that's so that's what we have planned. So, Eric, what do you want to say about Netflix versus the world? Uh, so, so it's, hopefully I, I swore I talked about it on this podcast, but I guess maybe not. But also I'll keep it's it possible. concise. It's possible. Okay. I'll just keep it concise just in case I did. Just say it's a really good documentary. It's on uh, Amazon, except it's not part of Amazon, which I know is funny. And it's a documentary about Netflix, but it's on Amazon, but not streaming. So you'd actually have to pay to rent it or buy it. But uh, we're, it's worth checking out. Uh, very good documentary that is, despite the title, is almost entirely focused on it's netflix versus blockbuster it's not the world yeah 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 but it's very good i feel like i talked about it so i'm not gonna keep talking i mean it's kind of it's kind of like how scott program he didn't face the world either eric right it's also a misleading title he missed he faced the seven evil exes yeah right right uh but he didn't have to actually battle the world yeah but you know it was implicit so there you go well, I would like to thank Eric for uh, taking the time to podcast. Uh, so, you know, taking the time away from socializing and tweeting about gargoyles to to <laughs> podcast with me. Yeah. I don't mean the animated series. I mean actual gargoyles. <laughs> the actual gargoyles. Gargoyles is great. It turns out no one, uh, people weren't lying for the past uh, 30 years when they said gargoyles is great. No, I, I'm uh, going to – gargoyles is on uh, – is buried within my very long list of things to someday uh, witness with my eyes. I figured I would dig it because Greg Wiseman, uh, who created it, uh, did Spectacular Spider-Man, which is one of my favorite animated series ever. Does it have uh, the uh, a baller theme song like Spectacular Spider-Man does? It, it does not have a baller like sing-along theme song. It has a rousing, dramatic hum. You know, you'll 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 hum along with it like the Saw theme. Yeah. Like you know, it's a oh yes, it, it gets your blood going. Uh, but it's not a a rock and tune like Spectacular Spider-Man. Uh, uh, but- Still great. And and speaking of things that we were doing right before the podcast, uh, I was just recommending this to Eric before we started recording. Everyone out there, also take time out. And if you have Hulu, watch The Great, which is, uh, fortunately, for the t- namesake, so nobody can make a sort of a shitty review of it, is, is actually great. <laughs> you can't you just be like, The Great stinks. Um, but it's I mean, got- it, look, if it had been bad... Trust me, critics would have pounced on that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Apparently it's good. The uh, It stars Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt, who it's really cool, too, to see them do this uh, because they're both have been acting forever and were child stars and are, you know. But uh, it's basically a hum- darkly humorous take on Catherine the Great, Empress of Russia. And uh, it proudly proclaims itself to be occasionally true. And it's from the writer, director of The Favorite, which mm-hmm. was a big deal last year, two years ago. I don't know when time 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 yeah. is a construct. It does nothing means anything anymore. Like it was whatever it was. It was in the Bing Big Bright, which happened in the yesteryear era before everything went dark. Right. And uh, when there were crowds and spectacles and gatherings. So uh, this week in WWE. Uh, if you want to, we can start off by talking about that Undertaker special, the the first episode of that, and then get into some back backstage behind the scenes news, and then touch on whatever we want to from Raw and SmackDown. Well, I, I feel like let's, let's let's talk about Becky first. Uh, okay, let's talk I about Becky. Like that, let's, we'll start with that's uh, like the big that's the big thing. Let's talk know? about that's the Becker Taker, which um, mm-hmm. she did. A, so it, one of the things I appreciated, first of all, it was a really it was a 
first of all, it was a good wrestling segment. Obviously, this is yeah. real life, and they're capitalizing on that. But they also used it to craft a very raw and fun and emotional and surprising wrestling segment that worked on TV. Actually, that whole Raw was pretty good. You had the Iconics returning. You had yeah. like dissension among Zelina Vega's ranks. Uh, there were a lot of things. There was for yeah, for yeah, the uh, Seth Rollins is having like a per- split personality. Yeah, thing like on. he had his raising Kane moment. Where what was it? Uh, when Jenny cheated on her husband, he didn't just leave. He split. Uh, I couldn't tell at first when Seth's hair was all crazy and he was just staring backstage during the interview and not speaking if it was because he himself had just learned he was going to be a father. I didn't know what they were going with. I thought it was just like, I didn't know if it was had anything to do with the loss from the night before or if it was had to do with him being uh, a father. You know, like I didn't know what they were doing until they got to the ring. And then I was like, okay, they're doing some shtick based on him not capturing the WWE championship. And there's really not much of a mention of him being the father, except Shayna Baszler kind of said something. Um, yeah. But there's really no nothing from the announcers with that, you know, in that regard. Anyway, the Becky segment, Asuka having secretly not, you know, win, having won the title and her not knowing that she'd won the title uh, was a fun moment. And then, the you know, the reveal that it was because Becky was pregnant, uh, it all just worked super well. And it was a it was a great way. And they got to dine off that not just all week in headlines, but also all raw, because it was such a big deal that they could just recap it every hour. Yeah, I mean, obviously, right now, they're leaning heavy into recap across all their shows, because of what's going on. And because they know it's like just, a you know, they're they're the empty arena thing is such a weird thing. Uh yeah, it was it worked really well. Uh, you know, let's you know just talk about yeah, it has a wrestling you know moment and event. It worked really well because it 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 was a little strange. Of course, on one hand, it's like oh, she's like vacating the title and Oscar's just being given the title. But then, of course, because you're like oh, wouldn't there be like tournament for the title? But then once they basically say oh, it happened, just no one knew it. Uh, it just happened. Yeah, so because I, was like, I wasn't watching Raw live. I only saw, and you know, so I actually knew. I saw the headlines and the tweets and stuff, and I saw that here, segment. So I didn't. I did think also that she had relinquished the title to Becky, which, again, wouldn't have made sense because you think Becky relinquished the title to her. Yeah, Be- Becky relinquished the title to Asuka, and it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not that I wasn't for it, but it, it's nothing that had nothing had ever quite been done like that. Because even though you have that contract, it's not like you're automatically the number one contender you're sort of a wild card contender for the title uh but yeah once this was also after wrestlemania and we learned that the big show had secretly challenged drew Drew mcintyre and lost (laughs) the night before in a match that we were only told about on monday and fortunately the title had not changed hands and they secretly kept it from us this was the second time that they had basically retconned a pay-per-view the next night by saying like you know telling us that what we thought happened, it was a ver- right. it was a, it was a pretty big saw move, you know, considering the movies <laughs> we're talking about right now. Uh, this was definitely a hello zep moment where like Asuka winning that and not knowing that inside was the actual Raw Women's Championship, she somehow was unable to open it. Otis was able to open his because he put like sausages and rollades in it apparently. But right, right, it brought worse. <laughs> yeah, because he's a fat guy. He yeah, likes food. and uh, and uh, Hoffman apparently made it so that Oscar w- couldn't open her briefcase. <laughs> right. She had to get the key from Jill. It was a whole thing. <laughs> but but John had to die so that he she could get the key. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, yes, yeah, so I, I think yeah, it was it was that was a cool thing because. 
yeah, I, I was the same as you. I was seeing it on social media. I wasn't quite understanding. I obviously understood that Becky was pregnant and, and leaving, but Asuka being the new champ sat weird with me until I watched contextually because I was like, oh, that's weird just to be like, you're the champ now, but then to basically say, hey, last night you were competing for who the champ was. You just didn't know it. Uh, that, that, that made it all work. That made it all come together. Uh, of course, now, so let me, let me preface this by saying there's the just simple congratulations to Becky and Seth. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I think you saw that it was a very real moment for her as far as the genuine, like she is very joyful about what is happening in real life, but it's also very emotional for her because she's stepping away from this thing. It's very uncertain. And now she can't, she can't promise she'll be back, nor should, nor should she have to. That putting aside that and the real life, hey, great for those guys as people. It's a wonderful moment. Man, is it got to be topsy turvy for WWE as a company because just another giant thing to be thrown at them to lose like their biggest break. You mean the two people, the years. two people that were on the cover of WWE 2K last year? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. Yep, the two covers, the people from the cover of 2K, Roman and Becky. The people that were basically like, you are our biggest stars right now. You are the biggest. The people that drive people the most to our product are both not there right now uh, with no idea when either of them will be back. I feel like Roman will be back one day, but, but we don't know. But you brought up last soon. week, you didn't even know if there was resentment <laughs> toward him for staying away. And that's why they weren't mentioning him on TV and why they'd edited him out of the WrestleMania 31 flashback. Uh, like, yeah, we don't know how they feel about him, but they are definitely not mentioning him at all. They were mentioning Sarah Logan, someone who had been fired more than they were mentioning Roman Reigns, you know? Yeah. Um, so just a weird time for them company and just another kind of giant, yeah, like obstacle for them at this moment to lose Becky. Um, yeah. So it's just going to be interesting to see how they, you know, we had already, it's funny because you and I were like, oh, I guess, you know, Oscar's obviously she's back in the title picture. She won money in the bank. Uh, but now this like she's champ right away and they're, you know, I'm assuming they're going to pivot into her being a face again, you know, the way that the Becky segment went and everything after possibly, like, did you, okay, see, did you probably... see what CM Punk thought that they should have done? And there was a wasted opportunity. Yeah. He thought that it would have been the perfect moment to really solidify Oscar. This is if they're sticking with her as a heel where it's like, she's happy. She's celebrating, but then like green mist right to the face of Becky. Like, <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> uh, that was, that's actually not a bad idea. But um, with Becky's pregnancy, and again, I, I echo sentiments of congratulations to her and Seth Rollins. I think it's awesome. But also, uh, out of the woodwork this week, uh, crept the usual uh, male fans and or journalists and or podcasters out there who feel like they have to have an opinion about what whether Becky should have done what she had done, whether it was a she should be pregnant or not be pregnant or not, like it's their god, like it's their fucking business what she does at all ever in her personal life, much less with her body. So, uh, there was that sort of gross, icky fallout that comes with that. Which unfortunately, I knew would exist. Yeah, you you knew it would exist the second that she announced it. Yeah, yeah, like this is bad for the business. She's not smart. Blah 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 blah. But yeah, that's all. That's all hot trash and uh they should all feel bad and probably gargle thumbtacks anyway i've been seeing i've been watching i've been watching too many saw movies so um that was a great segment oscar's champ i don't know how long she stays champ uh i don't know who they maneuver to fight with her again we still don't know going forward if she's babyface or heel it does seem to be feel like they're capitalizing a lot more on 
that goofy dancing aspect of her being very loud. And, you know, so many people are still drawn to Asuka, and especially as she has somewhat changed her persona to be a way more cartoonish character than she used to be. And people seem to really dig that. And so that could, again, push her in toward baby face territory, especially the fact that she was so happy and congratulated Becky and hugged her. You know, that was big, too. Yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, and, and Kyrie Sane uh, magically reappeared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Oscar was way more happy and supportive than uh, Seth on screen because he is still being pivoted. And that's the thing, because you start wondering, oh, does he have to be baby face now? And then they do this full heel move at the end when he, like, you know, takes the steel ring step corner to Ray's eye and they're like, nope, they're going the complete opposite direction and making him even not just a heel, but like an insane split personality heel who goes through fugue states and blackouts and doesn't know what he's done, you know, like yeah, uh, unhinged. We yeah. if him picking hands meant uh, with Drew was like, oh, are they going to turn? Although we both were like, why would they just give him new evil and not good music if they're going to, uh, just turn him good right away, but he's not turning good right away, which I, I like. I don't think there's any reason to have to, especially with Becky not even around. Uh, also, Matt, I know I've made this reference before because I always think of it whenever they have a wrestler do any sort of like um, beat the shit out of someone, but then also apologize. I think of Kevin Klein and a fish called Wanda. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why were you? Robbing your own house. Yeah. <laughs> when he was trying to apologize to Ray afterwards. Uh, I thought, and I really liked how, uh, like you said about the fugue state, he just seems like completely like he's like cracked. Was that after um, there was like the whole like tussle with Murphy uh, and everyone backstage that like Seth, if you look in the background, just walks away. <laughs> like he just is like, he's just like in a different place. Like he's, uh, he's, he's, it's just he's split, like he said. He's, yeah, he's, he's raising Kane. Uh, Kane is not the man. I'm trying to remember that movie. It was Brian De Palma. I know it's John Lithgow yeah. and Lolita Davidovich. No, maybe, maybe. Really? Stephen Bauer was in it. Anyway, yeah. uh, not Stephen, great, not great movie, but somehow I had the poster hanging up in my room. Just uh, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul's Stephen Bauer. Yes. Ah, he recently followed S- me on Twitter. Scarface is Stephen Bauer. Yes. Ah, there you go. So. Uh, that was a big deal this week. Um, since we did start with Raw, we can I'll just run through the rest of it. Like I said, uh, for the, the biggest drag in WWE programming, which is usually Raw, which is three hours. Like just I just watched SmackDown right before this podcast, and I was like, oh yeah, two hours is so much easier to uh, absorb. You know, not every n- nothing is actually easy to absorb these days with the empty arenas, but. Uh, two hours is so much easier, and uh, three hours seems to drag. But they they had a lot of stuff planned for that three hour raw. And like I said, so the Iconics came back after being God. How long has it been? Like been a long time, yeah. So it felt like since last summer, maybe. It was just interesting that they came back the same. Like I wondered if they kind of repackaged. yeah, no repackaging, and which again, I, I I like the Iconics a lot, but they seem to be another one of those stories of something a little bit wacky that worked better in NXT. Yeah. Uh, before, yeah. Like the, the like the um, VOD villains. And yeah. well, I wish I know they're, they were from New Zealand, but if they had brought them back with a Bushwhackers gimmick, that would have been amazing. <laughs> been or at least, amazing. at least like halfway, meet them halfway, like do a couple of Outback Jacks. Sure. And, sure. And, and uh, sardines. Yeah. So, um, oh, and then um, 
I will say that I was I I you know I rolled my eyes so hard they almost fell out of my head most of the time during the Street Profits versus Viking Raiders basketball match like yeah. little segments which were like silly which is like is it even possible that anyone knows less about sports than you and I Eric but yeah the answer is Viking Raiders comically so because they don't know anything about basketball while while and that's because they're supposed to be Vikings and they don't get it yet they're also not portrayed as full Vikings because they do carpool karaoke in weird ways. So it's not like they're, they're this weird middle ground where they're not, they're supposed to be Vikings enough that they don't understand basketball. But um, anyway, not all of this is working, but I did really like the twist that at the end, they turned out to be secretly great at basketball. (laughs) Like the fact that like we watched two or three of these sort of boneheaded comedic vignettes of them not knowing what to do and then at the end, they were like, we were just playing to make you guys feel better. And then it turns out that they're aces at basketball and that they really are better at street profits and everything. So, right, right. And it's going to continue. I think they're doing like axe throwing next week. So I, I don't know how that's going to work out. But it was – I thought that actually that got me. So I mean, again, kudos to that. Right now, I think more than ever, you kind of have to allow for the shtick because it's really hard to like the empty arena thing. Like they're like trying to make up for that. And so they're leaning into the wacky. Uh, obviously, there's uh, again, yeah, they can do like big production stuff like the uh, Boneyard match in Firefly Fenhouse, but they're not going to be able to do that on their weekly programming. The easiest thing to do on the weekly programming is wacky, uh, and so you just hope it's entertaining, you know. And some of it won't be, and some of it will be. So a nice, a nice mixture of good and bad. Uh, I definitely you you mentioned it a bit, but I just want to say that I really, really laughed at Shayna. Again, because it was so much like Becky was backstage and everyone was congratulating her. And, you know, it was like a lot of like, you know, just like, you know, people like, you know, just cheering. And the fact that they had Shayna be like super heel. And I laughed so hard at that kid's going to suck. <laughs> because it wasn't, it wasn't just Becky and Seth. She said the kid will suck. And that made me laugh a lot. By the way, a lot of the, the sentiments which were played for heel heat that Shayna was putting forth were a lot of the things that a lot of the fans and yes. other people were spewing uh, in without, you know, intending to be humorous. Right, right. Um, so uh, also on Raw, Edge and Orton got in the ring again, and I guess we're going through it one more time, but this time it's going to be in the ring and not probably 35 minutes of them walking around backstage. But I did sort of scoff at the idea that it will be the great... <laughs> If it does happen, but this match between Randy Orton and Edge, it may just be the greatest wrestling match ever. And that is just not something not I attribute. Guys. I'm just saying, on a week where we already saw a better wrestling match probably than those two will have. Not that I don't love Edge, but we just watched Drew Gulak and Daniel Bryan wrestling in what was te- apparently Drew Gulak's final WWE match because he left the company. His contract was up. And he huh. decided to leave. So that was it. That was his exit was on SmackDown. But I will never associate or even think it's possible uh, the moniker greatest wrestling match with anything Randy Orton's involved with. I, again, I'm not saying he's a slouch in the ring. I'm saying he's highly talented. But he does not put on five-star matches. Also, he doesn't put on all-timers. Yeah. yeah. Well, Or the greatest wrestling match ever. Yeah, yeah. It's just such a ridiculous thing to say. Like, again, like, I know WWE loves their hyperbole, uh, but Jesus. By the way, uh, again, in the in the book of cliches or the book of, uh, you know, the things that we always just come to expect, 
uh, it was funny when the Iconics showed up and they were like in the ring and they're talking to Nikki and Alexa and then they go they go to commercial and it's like one of the announcers like could we see a match between them we'll find out when we come back it's like the answer is never no if they go to commercial on that like someone might walk away from a challenge but they'll do it before commercial yeah it's just, never gonna be they, like they come back and like looks like we're moving on folks yeah. uh, well the answer was no and alexa and nikki declined but that happened off camera so yeah let's, so let's uh going. yeah i just saying like you i don't care who it is i don't care if it is drew gerlach and daniel bryan i would never in this quarantine era with empty arenas promise that the greatest wrestling match ever will occur in like three weeks at uh backlash in a no fan performance center you know like <laughs> that's not the way you hype anything it's just weird it's um, very weird other thing from raw i wanted to do two other things i want to mention which were uh we found out uh that uh uh ray and uh, alistair were alive that there was a second roof oh they landed on a secondary <laughs> roof eric <laughs> right I, i'm glad they acknowledged it at least i'm glad they acknowledged it the night after and not like updated after, it on dot right. com or anything <laughs> And not only did they There's land, some... they, they they both land on a secondary roof. They were both medically cleared to wrestle the next evening. It wasn't even, they didn't even play it off for a week. They just, I just like, realized the funniest thing they would have done is if uh, Otis, they went to, you know, Otis holding up like the Money in the Bank briefcase and it said like dedicated to Rey Mysterio and all, <laughs> <laughs> like with their pictures in the corner. <laughs> or it like, it like just pans away from the building and up into the sky and you see <laughs> ambulance lights down on the ground <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it's a full diehard like police and ambulance ceremony well, the weather outside. <laughs> um and the other thing i liked on raw was that uh apparently like we're, we're really gonna I, I actually quite enjoy this apparently like aj styles has full like undertaker ptsd he and couldn't so- even make it through the trailer of the TV show, Eric. <laughs> right. He, so I was like, oh, he's sitting down to watch the first episode. He's got like, he's in like in a hammock with popcorn or something. And then like, all they do is play like two minutes of like the teaser for it. And he's like, I'm over this. And he throws up. I'm out of here. I. He's like, oh. Yeah. Well, he's got that short attention span, you know. Um, yeah. Let's see. Yeah. That was way too much for him. I mean, I don't know why he thought he would enjoy it in the first place. Why get your popcorn out? Right, right. You think it was going to be a hit piece on The Undertaker? He's like, I can't wait for them to take him down a peg. (laughs) Ah, they're all reverential and shit. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission... Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Um, let's see. Uh, speaking of Undertaker, we'll pivot into that. Undertaker. So, uh, second episode will air this week. It's uh, six episodes well, all together? Is it airing tonight? We're, we're recording this Sunday night, so I can't remember if it's... it's ah, it's possibly. But yeah. that's the other thing. That's the other thing that's always weird. Like, they had an... Uh, encore of it after they're like stay tuned after raw go to the network watch an encore of this undertaker show the first episode where it's like you can watch it whenever you want you don't have to tune in when they're airing it on their live feed yeah you could go to it the next day and it's just the weird thing with streaming it's like it's not like a station Yeah. yeah um 
speaking of The Undertaker, he has apparently recently signed a new 15-year contract with WWE, Eric, which will, right. which will make him 70 years old when it expires. So he is there forever. So that's, that's committing to a Mania match for 15 years, yeah, right? It, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's 15 more matches. The streak continues. Uh, at the same time, Sting is no longer under contract with WWE, so that's not to say Sting can't work with them again, but he has finally been let go from whatever weird Legends contract that they just had him in a holding pattern with. Right. Uh, you know, after everyone now speculates that because the Boneyard match was such a fun success that this is what they could do with Sting and Undertaker. You know, right. this- it was a fun success that was also a solution to a problem, which is what do you do with a beat up old guy who can't perform like you with two beat up old guys (laughs) (laughs) two guys pushing yeah two guys pushing by the way if you hear us eric and i say two guys pushing which you probably have on this podcast at some point it is a heroes reference uh i don't know if i need to get it it's not not heroes in general no no (laughs) nbc's heroes and it's uh between matt parkman played by greg grunberg and peter petrelli played by milo ventimiglia and they are working together at some point, and this is when Peter can touch anyone and take their powers and absorb them for a little while. Uh, the other guy's fine. The other person's fine and can use their powers, but Peter can just use their powers. And so he's like, I'm going to take your mind powers, which they call pushing. And he's just like, he's like, two guys pushing is better than one <laughs> or something right. like that. Yes. And Matt really, like, Matt really glommed onto that. And he would say two guys pushing a lot. Well, IGN, uh, for a little while, maybe for two seasons at least, uh, I was doing a weekly thing for IGN called the Heroes Power Play, where I would pick, like, the winner, the best use of superpowers on Heroes. Obviously, this is what we did before the MCU existed, (laughs) or the Netflix Marvelverse. This was the only superheroes we had. Uh, best use of powers and then the runner up and I would just it was a jokey piece though so uh, you got you better believe I got the best out of two but two guys pushing <laughs> he sure did whatever week that was on um so the it was interesting that the first episode of this Undertaker series was basically a whole lead up to the Roman Reigns match yes which this is going back three years which now, yeah. which kind of stunk in moments not all moments it it was hard to watch for two reasons. One, uh, three reasons. Three reasons, Eric. One, nobody wanted Roman going over the Undertaker, especially if it meant the Undertaker's last match. Spoiler: yep. it was not. Spoiler: it was not. It was his last in ring WrestleMania match, though, because we don't really count the Cena squash. And right. this year he had a Bone mark Yard match, but that was still like. The final time he has appeared in Saudi Arabia, of course, and other times, but um, he did come back anyway. That was it. We didn't want Roman going over. Roman beating Undertaker led to uh, one of the most memorable Raw after Mania moments in history, which was the probably the seven minutes of straight booze. Yeah, that was, which we were we were there for. That was that was something. Well, so we were there for the Mania too. It was in Orlando, and uh, the second part of it that was difficult is this is when we started really, really, really noticing how long WrestleManias went, especially when they were on the East Coast, because this match was pushing. This was past midnight. Yep. And thirdly, by the end of this match, there were some botched spots and just because of Undertaker's inability to perform to the standards at which he used to. And, I, you know, look, no one's more bummed about it, as we've learned, than Undertaker. And it, this is the same thing. A lot of these guys, like Steve Austin and Undertaker, it's like they take such pride in their work that 
they it kills them inside when they can't perform like they used to. In fact, Steve Austin has always said that he will never come back to the ring because he knows he can't do what he used to do and he can't right. live with himself like that. Like he won't put fans through that. He won't put himself through that. He doesn't want to perform unless he can do it 100%. So this was an interesting take. First of all, just the element of seeing Undertaker as Mark Calloway so candid and in a way that we have never, never seen. Now, in the more recent years, he, under Mark Calloway has become more of an online presence. He has done interviews. He has done things that he never, ever used to, but not like to this length and to this in depth as this series is. And it seems like, yeah, again, this was three years ago, so this was always the case. Three years ago, he decided he was going to open up his life like he never had before, and now we're finally seeing it. Yeah. No, yeah, certainly. It's just the fact that he's decided it was going to take down the mystique. It was fascinating to see, uh, like, it was funny because Jericho was there uh, and talking about how, yeah, I saw the cameras following you around. I'm like, oh, are you finally going to do podcast interviews? Are you finally going to, you know, uh, do all the things he would never do because he would never break that character? Well, he recently, he was on that uh, WWE Network Steve Austin yes. show. Like, you exactly. know, like I said, he start he has started before this show doing those types of appearances and being on Instagram and being on his, or his wife's Instagram or whatnot. Um, also, I liked, uh, uh, I definitely enjoyed him, Jericho. I, was it Jericho or Miz? Uh, but one of them was talking with Undertaker about how damn long that ramp was in Orlando. It was, that Jer- was like, Jericho. Yeah, because that was like the ridiculously long ramp that that made entrances uncomfortably long for everyone, uh, just because it was it was too much space. Especially there. for someone who moves at uh, uh, undead snail's pace, like Undertaker, purposely, you know, that's yes. going to take a long time. Um, let's see. So yeah, I liked it's it's a good it's a good show. It's you know and. I guess next week we're going to see the hip surgery that he had after the Roman Reigns match. We're going to see him watch the match back and cringe at it because he doesn't like his performance and didn't like it. And it's also interesting to see him talk about the fact that he also doesn't want to, he didn't want to let down Roman Reigns because it's a big moment for Reigns. And it's the giving back to the business and giving back to the next generation element that's really cool. And that's something that you also saw in... That that weird intangible is something you saw in the thing I brought up last week with you, which was the the Mick Foley Triple H looking back at their early two thousand feud, the ability to make your opponent better, you know, which yeah. is something that a metric that you that casual fans or even non wrestlers can't really measure or notice or witness because there it can only be it can only be felt by the person in the ring. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the fact that he was so bummed that he couldn't do perform at his peak for Roman Reigns because it was such a big moment for Roman. Yeah, no, it was, it was definitely uh, like I, yeah, I think it's very interesting, and I do uh, look. Sorry, him for- sorry. Look, I no, even if Undertaker had performed better than he'd ever performed in his life, it wouldn't have stopped those boos the next night. No, no, it which has nothing to do with him, and just again, like you know, this was the peak, which continued unfortunately because they kept putting Roman in the main events. Uh, the peak of like you're pushing Roman on us. We don't think he's earned this spot, much less a beating the Undertaker at Mania. Um, so it was a lot of a bad, you know. Th- I, the the actual match didn't get the booze uh, that uh, Brock Lesnar or the indifference that Brock and Roman would get uh, because people had more respect for Undertaker. <laughs> but 
yeah, it was it was it was just a very tough thing. You couldn't overcome that. But I do think it's 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 cool. It's interesting that Undertaker and I know some people would say he should never have let down the mystique and the character. But I think that if he's going to keep wrestling, it was time. And I mean, that's kind of what the whole AJ Styles storyline became about. And I felt like it was the smart move because let's let's lean into what everyone is saying at this point. You know, uh, it's if, if he had really retired a few years ago, it'd be different and he would never have to break that mystique. But if he is going to still stick around, maybe it's time that we change it up a bit. And well, I, I it do. is funny because the feud with not just that AJ Styles was bringing up all the, you know, the real life critiques and murmurs and rumors about undertaker that a lot of us fans and journalists have been, you know, actually mentioning for the past few years. But the fact that Undertaker got to become not not fully biker taker, but kind of like a mix between the Dead yeah. Man and Dead Man Inc. and be that persona, meet somewhere in the middle between the American Badass and Undertaker, and the fact that they were calling each other Alan and Mark, yeah. open like really did set out roll out a red carpet for this documentary. Yeah, yeah. Which again, they've been sitting on for a long time. I mean, they started doing it three years ago. Uh, so who knows? Who knows the backstage discussions about why it took this long to actually happen? We don't know how it's going to end. Like, well, we don't know where it takes us to, where where, right, it, where exactly. it drops us off. Like it could drop us off at the earlier, late last year. I don't know. Um, or if it's all about that one year, the you know the Roman fallout from the Roman Reigns threat. I don't know. But uh, we'll by the way, out. as a little aside on just like things that you know they sit on, uh, I haven't watched it, but I saw on the network is this Triple H conversation slash interview with Lemmy from Motorhead. Mm. Do you know anything about this? No, I just know he's a, you know, obviously he's a huge Lemmy fan, but. Yeah. Uh, I, only reason I knew about it was because I listened to the Corey Graves podcast with Triple H, which was one of his first episodes. And Corey brought it up and said, you, because he talked, you know, in general, they're talking about, you know, obviously Motorhead, the theme music and his friendship with Lemmy. Uh, and then it turned out, Corey's like, you did this big conversation, this interview with Lemmy, Shortly before he passed away, when I was going to say because that would have been like five years ago. And yeah, and he's like, "When will we get to see that?" Ah. And Triple H saying, "Like, yeah, I know." And there's some issues we've had releasing it. So when it popped up on the network, I did have that context of like, "Oh, this is something that for I don't know why they couldn't release it till now, but there was a reason. Maybe it was with his family or something, but they finally cleared it all up, and there it is." So, um, yeah, we can move on from there. Uh, again, the Undertaker, uh, sorry, the Mick Foley Triple H, uh, I mentioned it last week, but their untold, uh, episode about their feud was really fun. And, uh, also a, a fun peek into the, uh, beginnings, the burgeoning, uh, actual relationship between Stephanie McMahon and Triple H. You know, I didn't know anything back then about when they started seeing each other, but like they were not seeing each other all through that McMahon Helmsley era. And so the fact that it was only until somewhere in between the Royal Rumble match with Triple H and the Hell in a Cell match uh, that they started kind of seeing each other, like around the time when everyone appeared on SNL to promote yes. to promote the the Rock, Big Show, Mankind, and Triple H being the WrestleMania main event. You know when Rock hosts like, SNL. Man, every yeah. So, but that's I guess when they kind of started seeing each other. So that was fun. Also, it's always fun to get a reminder of how amazing triple h's post dx theme music was oh so good that uh that 
But uh, they gave it to Steph for a little while. Uh, she, she took it over for a little while. It was the, it was the whatever that band was that did the DX theme, did that theme, or at least did the vocals. Remember how it ended weird? You know, because when we all bought the old wrestling theme soundtracks, yeah, you would hear the whole song, and it always ended with that. Does anybody know who's sleeping, who's sleeping with, with who? who? Yeah. Uh, also, it was the basis. I mean, that song is the basis for the game, for the yeah, song yeah. the game. You know, yeah, no. Uh, the you know, more songs should end with Who's Sleeping With Who. <laughs> they should. But I will still blast that. National That's Anthem. Like, National. Like, yeah. Does anybody know <laughs> Who's Sleeping With Who? Uh, that, that Triple H music is an, like the test music is an all-timer from that era. It, it's uh, but, that, but the lyrics were also was so weird because the lyrics were like a shoot. It was all about backstage politics and Triple H having been held back. Like, right, right. And like everyone fucking each other and like, you know, gaining favors the wrong way. You know, it's like, it's so weird. Like, um, it was the attitude era, man. It was, man. They were so full of it. Let's see. <laughs> uh, and the, oh, okay, so it should be mentioned because I just watched SmackDown that Sami Zayn is one of the wrestlers. We did wonder like where he'd gone and what was going on with him. And he is not wrestling. He's just opted. He doesn't feel comfortable wrestling in this environment. And we don't even know if it has anything to do with if he's immunocompromised or anything. But he he has chosen not to, which WWE says he's allowed to do. And But they have also stripped him of the Intercontinental Championship, which is a bummer um, because we were huge fans of him finally winning that title. And he was such a fun heel and he had a fun faction running with him. But now they're having a tournament on SmackDown to crown the new Intercontinental Champion, of which um, AJ Styles is a part of because, and this will also piggyback into the new, God, what is it called? It's not the wild card rule, but now just to liven up these empty arena shows, the brand to brand invitation. Something like that, yeah. Where And there are like actual rules to go along with this, unlike the wild card situation where I think someone can only appear on the other show four times in a year. You know, so it's not, it can't be like, a, they can't just be there for two months on it both shows. Like, it can't be like Roman Reigns shows up for every week, yeah. Also, I don't know if it's because it's an invitational, if someone has to invite them. Like, Drew McIntyre invited Baron Corbin to show up on Raw next Does week. Does it have to have a, like, wax seal on the back? Yeah, like, I, sent by Owl, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so they're doing that again. They're mixing the brands just because of, but it's because of the pandemic, so I don't know. Yeah. It's also weird with with Sammy uh, because it's just, again, what are the backstage politics? And, you know, of course they have to say, hey, no one's being forced to wrestle. But it's just interesting that, like, Jordan Devlin, they're doing the whole, like, interim. Yeah, why don't they have an interim IC champ? Right, because it's like, well, because Sammy physically could get here versus Jordan Devlin, who was, like, trapped in another country. What if if Sammy's stuck in a ravine? Right, right. It's just it's a little arbitrary, and so you do feel like he's being punished because of the Jordan Devlin situation. It's At hard least... not to look for punishment when you know that that's kind of the way the business is yeah. usually run. So it's mm-hmm. hard not to read into things that maybe aren't there, but also maybe are very much there. Right. Um, but that's the that's the uh, the delicate tightrope uh, act that we have to display eric we have to sort of be uh both mimes and acrobats here mm. let's see um also from smackdown charlotte showed up and she had a in-ring confrontation with bailey and sasha where she started throwing more 
fuel on the fire of a rift between Sasha and Bailey. So maybe, maybe uh, this feels a little over. I don't know when they're ever going to pull this trigger on this damn thing. But no, if no. anyone, if it ever happens, it should come from someone like Charlotte and their history. You know, like it should. Makes- it should. It, it was interesting. It was a little bittersweet to have that happen the same week Becky left, just because. It, we may now never get a four horsewomen like Raw or SmackDown storyline, which I always assumed would involve at one point them being a full faction and then them all turning on each other. I always uh, wanted, I always, and they never did it because Bailey, at one point, Bailey wasn't on the main roster, and the next right, year right. it was Nia Jax uh, subbing in for, I don't remember who, but was it subbing in for Becky the next year? Because they never did a fatal four way with the four no, of them, no. yeah, which yeah. Is something. I figured th- those two things were going to happen, which was yeah, all of them against each other, but also a period where they're a full faction, and uh, and we'll never get the horsewoman versus horsewoman now. So all yeah. these things, all these things are gone, uh, like tears and rain. Let's see. Uh, I want to move on to Jigsaw, but I'm just trying to see what else is uh, well, percolating. Uh, you didn't see any of NXT. I didn't see all of NXT, uh, but we should mention a couple things uh, from it, uh, which is that uh, you, you don't mind spoilers, right? <laughs> no, I do not. Uh, just so, so they 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 broke up Riddle and Thatcher. Uh, so that's interesting because is Pete Dunne coming back, or do they just figure eventually he'll come back? So like they they they've broken up and now are against I, each I knew other. that Imperium won the titles, but it, was it because one of them turned? Did Thatcher turn heel, or they just couldn't get along, or what? It was like there was like a misunderstanding, and then Thatcher. Oh, the- a malfunction at the junction. Why didn't you say so, Eric? And, and then it led to Thatcher abandoning him. Oh like, yeah, kicking out uh, uh, on him. Okay. So uh, so that that's what happened there. Uh, and then we should mention that they uh, bringing back a uh, a. Well played. Let's lean into the it being topical, which is WWE uh, the the branding in your house being brought back. They're not doing a takeover soon. Yeah, they're doing NXT so, in your. So now it, uh, in your house has uh, humorous work from home tones uh, that mm-hmm. you can read into it, and so they bring back the the '90s pay per view series when WWE started going uh, for the first time started going monthly. And they would do In Your House. And it only lasted for a few years. But uh, eventually the In Your Houses, they, they just started as In Your House. And then they became In Your House colon something. And they would be called something like Mind Games or Beware of Dog or whatever the main event mm-hmm. was. They would, they would uh, um, like Deadly Consequences. I don't know. something and That was just probably made up. But, <laughs> they, all, they all sound like Lifetime movies. Well, one was called In Your House Buried Alive, and it featured in WWE the first Buried Alive match. Um, did we so, watch that together when you were here, or did I just happen to watch that without you? I don't know. But also I, I, I think – Because I, I watched it on the network uh, a few months ago. I remember that. The In Your House Hell in a Cell one featuring the first Hell in a Cell match may have been, been actually called In Your House Hell in a Cell. Yeah. featuring the first uh, Hell in a Cell but, and had a HBK versus Undertaker. So sometimes it was the name of the gimmick in the main event. Sometimes it just had to do, like when Sean was feuding with British Bulldog, it was called Beware of Dog, et cetera, et cetera. But it's complete with, you know, cheesy 90s graphics that are pretty terrible. And I don't know, maybe they'll get Todd Pettengill back. Maybe they'll just bring, I don't know who they could bring back for this, but uh, uh, 
it's NXT, so it might not work quite as well as a WWE branded thing. But that's the next one. It takes place at June on June 7th at Full Sail. So there yeah. you go. And I was mentioning about that for whatever reason they decided to have. Well, they said Mr. Well, at not- full, I don't know. Will it be at Full Sail? Sorry. Or will it be a before? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. But they they had the announcement done by Degeneration X that Degeneration X is going to be here, and I thought they were going to come out to the ring, but instead it was just in a control room, uh, Triple H and Sean, and then he actually Road Dog showed up too because you know he works behind the scenes, uh, and they announced it that way. They said Mr. Regal's not here this week, but we have a big announcement for you uh, that they're doing in, in the house in your house. So there you go. In your house. So the first in your house was actually in 1995. <laughs> that was the first one and it was actually just called in your house one <laughs> i don't know wow <laughs> uh hold on oh. of in your house period this is thrilling for people i'm googling it's very loud typing you're doing it's like, it's like I, I, i'm using a, i'm using a mallet <laughs> i'm like that cat in the gif i'm just pounding away um so yeah it started in 95 in may and then it went all the way through um 99 mm-hmm. so yeah they had like uh, they went through Judgment Day. Like the first Judgment Day pay per view was an in your house, fully loaded. Some of these went on Unforgiven. Some of these went on to just stand as Unforgiven. You know, like they just dropped the in your house altogether. So one was actually just Degeneration X. You know, during ah. the, fir- the first incarnation of DX when Sean was champ. Yeah, yeah. In '97. Uh, so yeah, um, Canadian Stampede was one of my favorites. That was um, the Heart Foundation. So it was Brett. Jim Neidhart, Owen Hart, British Bulldog, and Brian Pillman versus Stone Cold, Ken Shamrock, Goldust, and Legion of Doom. And that was the main event, and it took place in Calgary. So it was really one of the first times you've ever saw in WWE the reverse, the the mirrorverse, where the heels were uh, the yes, heroes yes. and the, the baby faces were booed out of the building. So that was a lot of fun. Um, okay. Jigsaw. Jigsaw. Full spoilers commencing for the eighth film in the Saw franchise, Jigsaw. Jigsaw. Um, man, what a strange movie. Um, Jig. Okay, first thing, most notable thing, this was the uh, first Saw movie in a long time. It was seven years yep. before this movie uh, came out. That, after the that, first seven came out, one year apart. Yeah, yeah seven they churned them out for, um, you know, the better part of a decade. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, was the final chapter, was Saw 3D the final Saw movie? No, but man, did they, they, it was for a while. You know, it, it yeah. was like there was the break here was at, the Saw movies lasted for seven years. And then the break between the next Saw movie was as if they had made, se- like, it was also another seven years. The break yeah. was as long as the original run of Saw movies. Yeah. So it was a hefty time away. I guess they were, you know, Lionsgate was always wanting another movie, but they were just sitting and waiting for a good pitch. Like, they wanted to bring it back. They probably, like most people, don't know how, again, after you killed the the, the villain in the third movie. Um, and I am just overly amused that the way they brought Saw back was by doing using the two biggest tried-and-true <laughs> Saw twists, just mm-hmm. leaning into it hard. <laughs> the what you're watching is not taking place at the time you think it's happening. And there's a fucking secret apprentice that you didn't <laughs> yes. know about. And guess what? This guy 
was involved even, from the very beginning. Even he's even more important than Doctor Gordon. He was right. he fucking invented the bear trap with Jigsaw. Right. Like he is the number one Jigsaw guy. Himself told him like you've taught me everything. Like, it's like yeah. You know, he, this is Joker's Bob the Goon. This is the right. guy. I will say this, and I'll let you talk. But um, Matt Passmore's uh, Logan is his name, the medical examiner. Uh, you know, his turn at the end, I know we're starting with a twist first, sorry guys, but his turn at the end, you know, this is after years of fans and then weeks of us complaining about Costas Mandalore's Hoffman not being sort of an, an engaging acolyte yeah, or apprentice of Jigsaw. But this guy feels like out of all of them, the most devoted, the most uh, tried and true true believer of jigsaw who is willing to who holds him in reverence holds his message in reverence and wants to keep going on and fulfilling the guy's work uh costas mandalore was blackmailed uh hoffman was blackmailed into it amanda was a failure even though she loved uh john kramer it it wasn't like it was more of like that again that surrogate father thing we talked about like where she Mm -hmm. wasn't going to be the the apprentice he wanted she was flawed she didn't like because she she was so obsessed with there being no other apprentices. It mm-hmm. only had to be her. So no one could survive their trap because if they did, this is what I figure, if someone survived their trap, they could join that crew, possibly. Right, right. So she was and, making it so that no one survived. And, and this is she, before we knew that there were at least two other apprentices. Yeah, and she did. She already resented Hoffman, and we have no idea if either of them knew about Dr. Gordon. We don't know that. Much uh, less Logan at this Dr. point. Dr. Gordon, though, seemed like a true believer. He seemed like a pretty good guy. He actually had a crew at the end of that other movie. Yeah, two guys with him, yeah. But, as you mentioned last time, uh, once it was all said and done and John Kramer was dead, he just kind of fucked off and went back to being a doctor. Right, right. Until Jill dropped him a note or whatever, and then he came out of the woodwork to protect her. Or yeah. to, to try to or, 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 or venture, right? So yeah. there was no. It didn't feel like they were going to continue the work, but this dude Logan, who <laughs> who came comes unglued at the end and like really changes his demeanor in a in a huge way when he's confronting, uh, Callum Keith Rennie's dirty cop, Detective Halloran. Ah, uh, they say the name Halloran so much in this movie. Um, <laughs> but you have to he, say Eleanor a lot. I'll say this. He feels like after eight movies, the first believable apprentice, like the guy who can carry the torch. <laughs> okay, you go. Uh, yeah, it was interesting because so this was the only one I'd only seen once because uh, I'd rewatched the last time I re- rewatched the whole series was before this one opened, uh, and so and I think saw 3d i'd seen two or three times but i certainly only seen this movie once so it was re- interesting for me to watch again i knew i didn't think it was very good but i remember a lot of the other details so i was watching it again it's funny we're kind of focusing on the end a lot here first and we, we don't have to talk too much yet about all this i'll just say the end reveal i'd forgotten that one of the funniest things about the end reveal is how long his monologue is how and it's so like specifically like and then i did this and then I did that. And it's funny because I felt like Matt Passmore gave a fine performance in the rest of the movie, but he's really bad in that part. But I also think it's just such a ridiculous monologue because he has to he has to be like, and that's why this happened. There's a I'm- lot of explanation <laughs> that normally a Hello Zep montage would have taken. Would show you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
but they're playing the music, but it's like he's explaining everything so specifically. So that but was the, very the music's funny. different too. Did you notice that the same composer came back but also reworked the score? The Hello yeah. Zep? Yeah, it's different. Yeah, they, they, you know, it's a new decade, a new song. Uh, that the movie is interesting. It's it's because it's it's you know it's it's the uh, the the reboot quill that we're you know seeing more and more, which is like we're rebooting the franchise, but we're not restarting it. We're just it's a sequel. But we're kind of trying to divorce ourselves too much from the past because there's no one is in it from the old movies except for John Kramer. Uh, I forgot that they do at least name drop Jill Tuck. They're like the Tuck Farm. So we get. That's and, like, you know, and Jigsaw Superfan number one, Eleanor, never brings up Hoffman. Or Amanda. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I'm even wondering, it was anyone, I, I had to rack my brain, was anyone even alive from those previous movies to even bring up Amanda or Hoffman? Considering just, the considering the time crunch between three, four, five, six, and seven, mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. you know some loose areas in between, where talking about Strom's neck injury, uh, like was anyone left alive to sort of tell the tale that oh yeah Hoffman was the dirty cop? Like did anyone like write that down on a piece of paper anywhere? Like well, I, I thought that goes back to a question we had coming out of six which is when Perez says everyone knows I think she was just fucking with him but, but yeah I, then, and, and seven seems to confirm you on that because in seven I can't remember the the IA agent who's like you know well if anyone should know it's internal affairs first right of all. It, right even though it's it was the FBI that was talking in six it just seemed like they, they didn't know yet in seven so it did seem like she was talking over her ass at the same time, enough people found out that you think it'd be out there. But Amanda was definitely known because Amanda is mentioned by other characters as like his apprentice. So Amanda should be like a known quantity to like a super fan. <laughs> but she yeah, is not. Yeah. Uh, it's just interesting because, uh, you know, there's there's the you know, this this movie does something that a lot of the other movies do, which is kind of the the people going through the trap intermixed with a completely separate but not storyline with kind of your other protagonists. And your other protagonists, there's only four people. So they're if they're trying to do another like who done it, who could it be, there's only really four possibilities. And of course you've got Halloran as like the crazed dirty cop who's convinced it's Eleanor, but he also thinks Logan might be involved. It's just interesting rewatching it that I'm like, oh, Hunt is never brought up. So he kind of feels like he was there to be the I bet it's him, you know, like well well, everyone accuses each other except him right Right. no i get it but and so i think that's why he's there even though it really has no significance at at the end of the movie no Uh, no not at all uh i mean the whole thing as we learn in the end is that um logan is getting revenge on halloran for basically being a dirty cop and allowing her to go free that killed his wife Right, right. And I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around, but I forgot how much it made me laugh when it turned out when John Kramer says my nephew. Uh, oh, yeah, about- yeah. My, that was my <laughs> nephew you killed. Um, yeah, I laughed when he told the guy, it's like, remember the reckless driving you did when you were like 16? I was like, God, is this something Jigsaw's been sitting on for decades? Like, why didn't he go to the cops? He should put himself in a trap. He literally puts people in traps for not going to the cops. Remember, <laughs> remember in three when it's like you were the witness to this boy getting run over by a car and you did nothing well guess who else did nothing jigsaw (laughs) he should put himself in that that freeze room lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Anyway. Um, okay. Man, I just realized I have a lot of weird things to say about this movie. Um, okay. The trap is is a weird mix. Uh, it's like the, the movie is a weird mix of two and five, where not only is a dirty cop being targeted ultimately in the end, as as we know, Eric, Jigsaw hates two things the most, more than anything, horrible cops and amazing cops. Right, right. He hates- if you're too, if you're, uh, and one we understand if you're like just a bad cop who does bad things, but he, uh, he also hates you if you're just too dedicated to your job. Yeah, if, to he just wants firm. you to be like uh, one of those coasting cops in the middle who just like maybe <laughs> solves a case or two, but just like, hey, I'm just here to collect my pension and, you know, go, go buy a boat. Um, he, he just wants you to be sort of a middling officer who doesn't really want to serve and protect, but, you know, he won't, he's not afraid to draw his weapon. But yeah, he hates dirty cops and he hates super cops. But uh, so, yeah, it's a lot like five, like you said, because it's for people waking up. They're all together. They're not all connected somehow in the same scheme. But in this one, they all had like a dirty truth they had to unveil or confess to, which, by the way, Eric, what does that do? N- none of them confessing to anything saved them in any way. They still had yeah. to do whatever. All of them still, whether they lied or told the truth, they all still had to do the stupid trap. So mm-hmm. it didn't even matter. Like. Them confessing didn't be. It wasn't like Jigsaw's like, "Thank you for being truthful. You can go, you know, right. like you're free to leave." Um, but it was also like two, because there were th- weird booby traps around the area that he anticipated someone that, might. That, tra- that what if they never got used? I thought about that, and I thought about you saying that when uh, the a hole guy sets off the one that has the door saying don't but and it's like but if no one went over there <laughs> but also it has jigsaw this is a new element and maybe it's one of the reasons why we learned in the end it was his i guess his first trap maybe and I was, and maybe, this not, is, maybe not after after cecil after, after the, cecil that's what i was thinking the same thing like timeline wise this gets really wonky not that the series already wasn't but now it gets really confusing when they say this is like his first you know, his first trap before the other ones. Because we know about Cecil, but it feels like it has to be around the same time. I'm going to guess right after, or the first big one after, because he also reveals himself to the last, to Laura Vandervoort and the yep, other guy. Yep, yep. And, so it yeah, feels similar to Cecil. But know. also, I guess technically this would be the first time his victims see Billy, who rides in on a tricycle. And there's no video screen with Billy. There's just tape recordings. And the tape recordings are meant, are designed in a way that that is Tobin Bell's voice. Like it's not the, it's not the doctor. So I think I think it is Tobin Bell's voice in the whole series. It's just a very distorted. But yeah, this but is they just... really wanted you to be like, OK, you can't mistake that for maybe Hoffman. This is this is Tobin Bell playing John Kramer again uh, as a way to fool you. Uh, but you, you, but see, you see Billy on video in the silo when it's filling. Oh, out. OK. OK. He's got glowing red eyes that he never had. I really. Well, here's part. the thing. Jigsaw is following along the trap. He is present because he is commenting on things that have specifically happened because he's like when when Ryan falls for that door trap and gets his leg caught in the wire, the video pops on and he's like, hey, guess what, you two bozos? The only guy who could save you is Ryan and he has to pull that lever. Well, he had to have recorded that right then. Right. He had to have recorded that in the moment based on what he was watching on the screen because 
Yeah, he's literally, and there's a few other instances of that where he is following along and literally leaving tapes for people to find, like a room ahead of them. Yes, yes. Because he's like, has to record it quickly, drop the tape recorder, because he doesn't know who survived, but he did know that, I don't remember the character name, but Mario Van Peebles' son, Mm -hmm. uh, he survives, and it's literally the same thing where it's like, you didn't tell the truth before, but now you will. It's like, well, he had, he's basically playing the game along with them. Nothing is ultimately pre-recorded he's doing it as he goes and it's very evident so there are a few ways to spot in the end when we realize the twist is this all happened 10 years ago or however many years ago he's been dead he's been dead 10 years but who knows they, when they, the they, they actually and i was gonna say that's for the more timeline wonkiness because they actually use the term 10 years ago for everything which we've talked about how it's it's very confusing how long the entire first seven movies take place over, but it can't be that they all took place in one year, including like the first and de- de- that includes Danny Glover's character, yeah, like, yeah, losing- he- well, healing his neck, yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense, but that but but Jigsaw almost implies everything happened in less than a year. So, um, so not only so here's a few giveaways to how this trap wasn't taking place when we thought it was taking place the first was when everyone woke up they weren't like oh shit we're in a jigsaw trap now you can easily say well it's been 10 years so maybe these new people aren't familiar with the jigsaw traps like people were back in the day right but it's because jigsaw didn't exist to them right they they didn't know what they were in two the timeline of the trap the 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 room to room crucible the test that these guys are going through does not match the timeline of the cop story we're watching literally logan goes home and falls asleep with his daughter and it's the next morning or something like i don't know what's happening like it but we come back and they're still like two minutes later in the same room so it's the the timelines don't even sync up because they're given like an hour and everything else is playing out over the course of a day or more in the other place. So yeah, I, I, of course the reveal at the end means we never actually saw the first three victims. Like we just saw the corpses because it, it, at least it gives you wiggle room and a pseudo explanation for how could these corpses be delivered into the city, which we learn at the end is like quite a drive from this barn, like in real time. Like speaking, how could, yeah. Speaking of happen? city, by the way, yeah. Uh, Cleveland is mentioned. So Cleveland is not the city. So, but but city exists in the same world as Cleveland. So it's not yes. like a DC universe situation. It's more like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, here's the other. Here's the biggest stretch for me. Not just the fact that Logan was the guy who pissed off Jigsaw first in the doctor's office before Doctor Gordon. Yeah, like, <laughs> like so. I love. I love. That, that's like that's the thing about this movie that is very funny because they want to like make it matter on a series that already has done so many retcons. So the, the, I think it's the one-two punch of the other character of, uh, it was Mario Van Peebles' son, right? Who was responsible for my favorite, my beloved nephew yeah, my beloved uh, nephew. dying. <laughs> and that Logan was another guy who pissed him off in the like medical but then, <laughs> But then he decided uh, that no one should die for an honest mistake. So <laughs> I, I would, right. which is just weird because he literally, uh, I believe twisted a man's arms and legs and head off in saw three because of an honest mistake <laughs> like granted that cost the life of a child but yeah it's not like the guy ran him over in malicious intent it was a mistake but so he quickly course corrected that uh and now brutally kills people for making mistakes but 
the the hardest part of this movie to sort of believe as long as you know we're trying to suspend our disbelief is but the fact that just to fool us the viewer with those bodies that are popping up all over town that you just pointed out would have happened had to have happened very painstakingly or very quickly because it takes a while to get from that barn to the city we're supposed to think that that's who just died and they're being dropped off somehow and taunt in taunting the police i don't know why anyway the fact that it's only because Logan somehow at the same time or very previous to this ran a similar test with similar looking people like, like that we didn't see. We didn't see the test that these dead people went through. They were just like the fill-ins for the people yeah. 10 years ago. And he only did three of them. Like he didn't do four, or and he didn't do one for himself, it, or he did do one for himself actually, and but killed no, and said, killed he him. Said, he says there was the the final two people. Were, were those? Three. Yeah, it just that's yeah. so dumb. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that is the silliest thing ever because that literally is just for us. That was just to make us. That was only to make us think it was happening at that moment at the same time. So right. That we that it's, wouldn't that's see the another twist blonde out. woman, and it's another yeah. That they're all the same types. Uh, yeah, the other uh, it's not a hint on the timeline thing. It's just a hint that something is probably amiss is uh, I will say I think I think it's very effective. It's just kind of a funny macabre thing when they all wake up uh, and the fact that the fifth person doesn't wake up and is just being dragged along that whole time. But then we don't see him horrifically die like Laura Vandervoort gets to the next room uh, and you don't you just see him being dragged in. And in a Saw movie, they never cut away from a brutal death. Now, of course, because that's it was Logan and he didn't die. Well, uh, I, I will. So. I totally agree with you. And that, yeah, that's certainly something to be suspicious about right away. Mm-hmm. I will say that this movie, it was there were some gory moments. Yeah. But this movie was light on gore compared to like the last three movies. This movie. It's, it's not. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. It's, I mean, I know that's funny to say because it's still very gory in the compared to other movie sense. They don't hold it, on the gore very long, as long. They don't, it's not as gory. Yeah. There's the shot of like Halloran's head opening up like a, like a demogorgon at the end, but like it is nothing compared to the intestines splattering out in the last movie or Jill's body being blown apart by whatever that th- rocket that she dreamt Hoffman sent into her or the bear trap or like it is. Yeah, again, we're not saying it's not gory, but the fact that like that wire cuts through Ryan's leg and cuts it off and we don't we don't really see it happen. We see blood come out of his pants, but like we don't see his leg fall off. We don't there's just I'm just saying that they were they did tone down some of that violence. I do remember seeing his his leg, the three slices. There were slices, but it was intact. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I will say, so the other thing we should talk about is the, yeah, how aesthetically different this movie is. Uh, well, you know, so again, much the, takes place outside. And, and, so, and the during the day. During the day. Yeah, because Saw 3D had that opening with the two guys and the girl and the outdoor trap, but that was still, and even within place. that movie, yeah. uh, it wasn't a regular thing. This movie uh, begins with like an a chase sequence, you know? It's like a cop car and a guy running across a building and... It's and then so much of it is during the day, including in the trap. Uh, m- much of the stuff in the barn has like the sun shining through, and I- I'm not saying like that's a bad decision. I understand. Again, it's it's a reboot call, and they wanted to be like we're different, um, but it just it makes it feel very aesthetically different from the other movies with their like seven esque. You know, it's it's almost always night in a dark and dank city. 
This one is it's bright sunlight in a barn for much of it. I don't so get it, I don't get the silo trap either, Eric. Yeah, it it, it felt from the get go, like you said, a very different movie. It didn't feel like yeah. a saw movie out of the gate. Now this one had a ten million dollar budget. They cut it from the twenty from the previous film to back to what the films were usually ten million. Mm-hmm. After t- they were that pretty much that budget after the first movie. That um, but yeah, it didn't feel like again. It's all new characters. It's all it's some years later. It's in the daylight. Um, people are talking about Cleveland. Man, it's a whole new world. Um, <laughs> the silo trap. I don't understand it. Uh, I get that the shock and awe of like the the pitchforks and the saws falling from the ceiling while they almost can drown or whatever. But unless somebody's in that other trap and was a bozo and fell for the the prank, the, the leg prank. Yeah, there's no way out. Then there's no way out. Like, what if all three of them went in there? Right, right. It didn't make any sense. Like, what if all three was like, oh, no, no, I guess we're just trapped in the silo until we die. Um, uh, this movie did hammer, make, you know, it make very clear to us that one of the first and foremost, because this was his first elaborate team trap after Cecil, we're assuming, assuming that jigsaw values just as much as he values redemption via pain and blood sacrifice he values clever wordplay and puns (laughs) like he's a punster like he's like the key to your salvation is in this gun oh guess what i meant it was the literal key key. Uh, waka waka schmackety do like and like and you know and it's very easy like if right again just for us the audience ryan winds up seeing that there was a key like easily he could have missed that as well like it doesn't matter right um this movie has in it matt passmore who was on a show i didn't watch but i know uh my ex-mother-in-law watched it uh the glades Mm -hmm. it had uh canada's own canada's favorite son callum keith keith rennie who's on i mean this this whole this whole series of course has so many canadian actors throughout it callum keith rennie is in any show that's ever filmed in canada ever and uh i believe i first saw him in a most notable role was on battlestar galactica but yeah uh he's been in so many things and then it has uh hannah emily anderson who hadn't at this point starred in the purge tv series but was in the purge uh tv series season one she plays eleanor and i interviewed her when i did a purge set visit but she um she was way too obvious a red herring to be believable because a red herring yeah but i mean it was (laughs) it all not only was she a redhead exactly but also (laughs) like the fact that actually wouldn't have been a twist on a twist if she turned out it's like, yeah, guess what? The person obsessed with and who owns Jigsaw's original traps is just the madman. Like, (laughs) guess what? You were right. I'm crazy. Uh, But I did appreciate that she had to traverse the dark web to find this shit. Like, yes. Uh, Yeah. No, no characters return except John. uh, And there's one and Jill's the only one who gets mentioned by name. So really the only direct reference you get to anything else is her studio of jigsaw traps. Yeah, she had. The, she had. <laughs> this, she had the one that killed Carrie. So this made me laugh because there were there were there were actual traps. There was the the rib splitter that killed Carrie. There was the the glass box for Strom, which is, makes me laugh too. The one that really made me laugh was the she had the the ridiculous uh, door hole gun from two. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the uh, the the weird spinning heat cone. That was used on Mario Van Peebles' son 
Uh, that, but, but that one, we know she built herself. We don't know if the others are replicas. Well, or Well, she the built actual... it based on a blueprint. So that was yeah. also something that we were like, oh, she can build traps. She must be the apprentice. But um, but it was also that that red spiral. And that was like you, on the, the marketing for the movie, which just had sort of John Kramer's jigsaw face. But he had that red spiral because of the Billy Puppet spiral. But like, yeah. what a weird thing to build for one of your first traps. <laughs> that's yeah. a weird that feels like a five movies in trap that doesn't right, feel like an out of the gate trap. like like you mentioned with like the furnace that kills uh uh the guy's wife at the, in 3d it's like it still it's makes me so laugh <laughs> it's, it's just, just a, a, fucking, a fucking mars rover like appears over her and space capsules her and then cooks her like that's so elaborate right, right because so if you unnecessary the, the first saw movie like like the most like elaborate traps were maybe the one where he has the guy prisoner when the cops show up at his place. He's got like the thing with the drills on the guy. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But like, because otherwise, obviously, the main conceit of the movie are two guys who are just chained with yeah. with hacksaws. Two, two guys, you know? two guys pushing. Two guys pushing with hacksaws. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, doesn't she has a hacksaw, by the way? I noticed. Yeah, she did have the hacksaw. I wish she had Doctor Gordon's original, <laughs> unless someone found. The bathroom that Hoffman was left in. So I just remembered. I just remembered something I laughed about from Saw 3D. Anyway, but uh, the the because uh, I was saying like, what if she had Doctor Gordon's old gross foot? But <laughs> I, I laughed when he looked at his old gross foot in Saw 3D. Right. When he's walking I, back through the I, bathroom I like and he, that moment. and like he saw his foot. He's like, oh, oh yeah, I, I remember. He's I remember like, you. Oh, you are a good foot. <laughs> good time. I miss you, foot. <laughs> I wish I had you. Oh. We should uh, mention that the uh, the actor who plays uh, uh, Hunt, uh, Clay Bennett, is uh, rumored to play Battlestar in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh, that's cool. Good to yeah. know. Uh, uh, and the movie and also then, this movie also stars Laura Vandervoort, who we who, who, once had on as a guest on Channel Surfing. Uh, we did have her on a guest Channel Surfing, and her casting. It's funny because this this scenario is similar to Saw Five, and her casting is very similar to Julie Benz as far as. Very recognizable, well-liked genre actress who's like... Genre, but not quite as scream queeny at the time as Julie Benz because of Dexter. But yeah. Right, right. But just... She was was on Smallville Forever and she was on... uh, She was in the V reboot, which only lasted a season. Two seasons. Two? Oh, that's right. She played a lizard woman, but yeah. Um, Yeah. She's been on a lot of TV shows. Um, And she's done done a lot of horror since, including... uh, Oh the, God! Uh, what was the yeah? What was the thing that she did? Um, it wasn't I want to say it's called Feast, but it's not Feast. It's Rabid with That's CM it. Punk and AJ Lee. So there's your tie to wrestling. Oh, after <laughs> the, we didn't get to the tie into the wrestling until the very end. To the, <laughs> right, that's to the, the last saw, movie. That's the Saw Twist. Well, she <laughs> was in that vampire show that only lasted a season on Netflix too, right? With with Ian Somerhalder. I yes, can't remember the she name was of it. Also in a werewolf show that lasted several seasons, Bitten, I believe it was called. That's what I'm thinking of. Yes, I'm yes. thinking of Bitten. I wanted yes. to say, uh, why did I say fear? What did I say? Ra- you I said Fe- you said Feast, which is the name of a horror movie, but not okay. one she. But wasn't Feast but a werewolf so. movie? No, it wasn't. Okay, I don't no, know. It, wasn't. <laughs> it's, it should be a werewolf movie because they like to feast. Sure, they do. Um, okay, let's see. This movie was. Yeah, not great. Uh, the twists go huge, like you said. There's a lot of explaining at the end. Um, the uh, 
some things are just kind of laughable too. And it was, it's unclear at this point. Look, the movie did well. It's still because it had been yeah. seven years at this point and everyone's like, oh shit, they're doing it again. So it made a hundred million dollars off of $10 million. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but they still decided not to move forward with Logan as the new jigsaw. You know, they right. just was like, well, I guess it ends here again until Chris Rock decided he wanted to revitalize it with a fresh new idea. So it's not like they were continuing this. Yeah, and it's and of course this movie by actively deciding not to continue anything, you certainly didn't get more Doctor Gordon or an explanation for who those two guys were. One of them could have been Logan. Uh, we just well we don't know, you know, as far as like who else was he working with uh, when he grabbed Hoffman at the end. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, there was a point when I was watching this movie again that I and I didn't remember it that well. I remember the two biggest twists. But I was trying to, I thought while I was watching this, I was like, is there a third twist? Does this, is his daughter, does she not exist? <laughs> I, <laughs> right. I literally watched this movie thinking like, was he playing catch with like no one I, in the beginning? I, and was I, he like looking at a blank computer screen? And was he like right. sleeping next to no one? Like, does he not really have a daughter? And she also died? Like, I thought she died. It's so funny you say that. I thought the same thing rewatching it. Like, did she die? Because it is interesting to find out that I guess not, right? He just has a daughter. Like Jig- the the new Jigsaw has a is like got a sweet little girl. Uh, but I had the same thought rewatching it. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, because it seems so weird that they would show her actually that much, mm-hmm. you know, with no one else. Yeah. So anyway, and the fact that they kept mentioning that someone he loved died, we assumed it was his wife, but maybe it wasn't. I don't know. It's also weird that he and Halloran still have a weird working relationship, given that history between them. Right. Like right. that the guy that that Halloran had let go, like killed his wife. Right. Like, hey, how you doing, Logan? He's like, ah, I'm still, still wildly upset with you. Right. Not happy with you. Um, this movie was directed by the Spirig brothers, who are a pair of German Australian film directors. But the most interesting thing, and so like brand new to the series, the writers were brand new to the series, you know, because the same writers had written a bunch of the sequels. What was it like four, four through seven? written by the same duo, but they did not return for this one. But the most interesting credit to me, uh, Matt, that I did not catch the first time was it was edited by Kevin Gruturt. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, was, so Kevin Gruturt edited yeah. all the movies until six, directed the well-received six, the ill-received seven, but we talked about was forced to do seven and talked how and made it akin to 9-11 nightmares. Uh, Somehow, you know, whether it was that he actually just worked everything out with the Lionsgate and, and the producers in the time between, or, you know, people got to work, uh, he came back to edit this movie. So I thought that was, so it's not like he came back to his director, he came back to the editing capacity he'd done on the first five films. Uh, so that just was an interesting thing for me to note when I was looking at the credits of this. Um, I'm going through my notes here just to see if I forgot anything that we need to actually talk about Jigsaw anymore but I I also forgot to mention that it's also very notable that that game didn't have a timer the the uh, the trap with the four people it didn't have any timer and I think that was meant to also try to make it blend more into the make you think it was happening in real time you know right 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 
Um, right. It was, it was never like, I feel like there might have been a timer early on, but yeah, you're, you're right. There was not the, the, the ticking clock aspect that usually lasts for the entire I do I do kind of wish, because they gave up on this halfway through, and I realized they did just for different reasons, but like I like the idea of the chain dragging them through everything. Again, yeah, that's a huge elaborate trap for his first go-around, because I feel like na- after that, he's like, maybe I went too big too fast, because... <laughs> For my next trap, I'm just gonna put two people in a room and give them a fucking hacksaw, like, and right. and I'm gonna lay there very still. I think that sounds a lot better than what I just did because this was uh, a lot of work, exhausting. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah, he's like, you know what that that cone thing, like, yeah, that's 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 pretty uh, that's pretty outlandish. I think even for me at this point, I'm just <laughs> I'm just starting out. What I'm going too big, too fast. Right. So. Um, yeah, that was Jigsaw. It was a meant to sort of revitalize the series, and it did well, but it didn't continue the story. Like, I think it was also because... I think this movie ended the series again, this is my opinion, because it, di- it did the same two twists. I think it just went back to the, sh- the franchise's bread and butter, gave us the same two notable franchise twist that we've seen in different forms over the years and again they were like okay now we've got this new guy but god we already used up our apprentice and time twist like we're done we're already done like that's it man like now we've got logan who maybe or maybe not fans will be willing to follow but we can't make people fucking think Jigsaw's alive again. Like, that's for fucking sure, you know? We should talk just briefly, because we'll wrap up in a minute, but it's like, this This is the this movie tries to actively trick us into thinking, could Jigsaw have actually come back from the dead? Uh, you know, because it's like, again, the, the the time, they're messing with time for our benefit as well. So when, when he's revealed in the room, but the whole movie up till then is like, well, John Kramer's dead. He's dead. But then they dig up his coffin and he's not there. We don't know, by the way, where his body was put by Logan. Uh, but but yeah, the whole point like, was for, that Logan wanted to frame Halloran for everything. Yeah. yeah. So isn't it weird that like he was even trying to make the cops think J- John Kramer was alive when all he had to do was make them think there was a jigsaw copycat? Right, right. Because that's the ultimately what he's framing Halloran for. So yeah. he didn't need to go through the smoke and mirrors of making people think John Kramer is somehow alive. Again, that was a weird narrative thing for our benefit it had nothing right. to do with the cops like it made no difference to them by the way i also like not that the other movies are paradigms of like perfect police work but it was really stretching things here where hunt shows up he starts to suspect logan he shows up he's like i'm gonna need you need your hands he's gonna handcuff him and not only does logan talk about it but he's like let me perform an autopsy on this guy to check the bullet so it's like he goes from like i'm about to arrest you to like, yeah, I'll let you do an autopsy on this guy or take the bullet out of this guy. Uh, seemed, seemed dubious, Matt. That's all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> I don't like that Logan guy. He's up to something, that's for sure. <laughs> he is up to What's something. What's he doing hiring that Jigsaw super fan? But I don't, have, I don't suspect Chris Rock has brought him back. Uh, Maybe that's is. the whole thing. He's like, no, man, you guys were onto something with Logan, and I really want to follow through with this. <laughs> I want to like, be part of the Logan verse. I watched Jigsaw. And I was like, what's Logan up to next? Yeah, what's and, his next trap? Is he going to uh, emulate I'll, another trap? Yeah, I did. Like Eleanor's just a funny character of like you know the the uh, the sexy coroner who's obsessed with death and John Kramer and has all tatted up and uh, yeah, she's. Just got this insanely expensive studio where she's got all these uh, 
these traps, and she turned down the dream job in Cleveland. <laughs> because dream jobs in Cleveland do not exist. Ha 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 ha! Don't tell Johnny, <laughs> don't tell Johnny Gargano I said that. <laughs> or the Miz's dad. Or uh, Drew Carey. Or Dolph Ziggler too, isn't he? Or Howard the Duck. Uh, the Howard the Duck makes fun of Cleveland, but he does live there. Or W uh, WKRP in Cincinnati. It's in Ohio. It's close enough. It's at the other <laughs> side of Ohio, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah. Why not? Why not? Or Family uh, Ties. That's in Columbus, which is in the center of Ohio. But yeah. I, I do remember seeing this opening night and that, you know, there was a reaction when, because uh, it was mostly greeted with indifference at the end. But I do remember the, there was a reaction when, like, Tobin Bell shows up, who, by the way, he doesn't show up until about an hour in, but then he has way more to do than he did in Saw 3D. Like, he, he certainly has more of an impact, a presence in this movie than he did in Saw 3D. That's so have, yeah, no, yeah. that's for sure. And uh, I didn't talk to you about it last time, but on the the um, was it the last Saw movie or the one before that? Anyway, watching the Voodoo special features, you know the special features they had, like, yeah. the Fifty Two Traps features. It's like where the the prop masters kind of go through most of the famous traps of the 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 film. And uh, but then there was one for this movie where they or was it the last movie? Anyway, the the whole point I'm trying to make is that Tobin Bell is really fascinating as an actor because he takes the role of Jigsaw, and I'm saying he's a dick about it or an asshole, but he is really takes that role seriously. And he writes a lot of his own dialogue. He questions the dialogue. He's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, he really took ownership of that character in a way mm-hmm. that, you know, that you wouldn't maybe not assume a horror actor would do, but I feel like a lot more horror actors actually do do that than we think. Oh, yeah. And, Kane, Kane Hodder does that. Yeah, yeah. and I, I do feel like the reason why Tobin Bell does work so well as Jigsaw and why his performance is so, why he was instantly iconic after the second movie because of his speaking part is because he, the care and concern he does have for that character and the effort he puts into making sure everything Jigsaw says again, to a degree, because we sure pick it apart, uh, (laughs) makes sense to him as an actor, like, and for him to, you know, there's a whole featurette about how, much he combs through scripts and how he is actually also not just when it comes to Jigsaw, but he's like an expert on the Sawverse. Like he'll tell you where a trap was, when and what movie, <laughs> like he knows. So he became like the running Saw encyclopedia on set for these movies. So I thought that was just a really fun and cool extra element, you know, the, that he does feel such you know, he does feel very privileged and he has reverence for this character and he realized what it means to a lot of horror fans. Right. So it's never really been a question. He's never been like, no, I'm never doing that character again. Like he loves it. He yeah. loves I it. Mean, so and I think I think it would be legit shocking if he doesn't show up in spiral, right? Like it's like he's he's gotta appear in spiral in some capacity. Just like kinda they're being so coy about Tony Todd being in the new Candyman and you kinda know he is. Yeah. Uh so it's like it's gonna be the same thing. It's like yeah, he, he has to pop up. Uh, he has things. to avenge his other nephew. Right, right. My, it reminds me of the last action hero, or it's like my, what is it, like my, my favorite great uncle, or something <laughs> like that. I like the last action hero. Last action hero is flawed, but it's good. It Everyone good hated stuff. it back when it came out, and I enjoyed myself. I did too. I enjoyed myself. So anyway, thanks everyone. That's it for the Saw movies for now. I don't know if I'll start with Friday the 13th right away, but we'll see how it goes. Um, let's let's give it a week or two, but I think we'll tell people before we start it, and we'll start it soon. Yeah, let's not start right away. Let's give everyone a break, including ourselves. Um, okay. Especially me, because I actually do have to watch a lot of these films with fresh eyes for the first time in a long time. 
Right. So right, right. I've seen them all, but not like you, who does sort of repeat viewings more very frequently, and I do yeah. not. So, um, but yeah, everyone, thank you for coming on uh, this fantastic voyage with us through the Saw franchise. I hope you and, enjoyed and, and it. In a year, we'll talk about Spiral when it hopefully opens. <sighs> oh man, in a year we'll talk about so many movies. In a year we'll just talk about movies in general, Eric. Like we're sure. talking about. Oh, I would pay a thousand dollars right now to watch Black Widow on a matchbook. <laughs> I am just oh this is rough anyway okay I mean things are way rougher than people not being able to see movies but that's what I've chosen to gripe about right it's now a symptom. it's a symptom yeah it's just a, a, a dreary side effect anyway stay safe out there everything is possible but nothing is real and Shockma Shockma I really like him the problem is he's like a perfect human man I can't find one flaw. There was one time I thought he farted, but it was me. We enjoy wrestling. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.